Welcome to another episode of The Bias Podcast. We are your hosts, Klaus. And Jacqueline. And today we're talking about a couple on a beach house vacation that find themselves in over their heads when creatures of the deep come knocking on the door. Otherwise known as the nightmare of every boy whose worst fear is sharks due to a lack of realistic fear such as being kidnapped, coming to life. The sharks can walk. We're talking about Gyo, otherwise known as Fish. Subtitle, The Death Stench Creeps, by Junji Ito, the man, the myth, the legend. It's a very uh, Halloween-themed episode. It is. Oh, yeah. We chose something spooky, and Junji Ito is such a go-to person for that. And he has other stories that I would love to talk about even more, but like we got to save some of the good stuff for later, you know? So before we get into talking about Gyo, Let's get into our spoiler checkpoints for this episode. As always, we're going to start spoiler-free. So if you haven't read it and you don't want spoilers like me, then this part of the conversation will be free to you to listen, free free to listen to. If you're like Klaus and you don't care about spoilers and you're all about the experience, then like you know whatever. But we will let you know when we start uh, giving away spoilers about the story. Yeah. So just some basic facts about Gyo. So horror seinen written by again. The man, the myth, the legend, Junji Ito, published in Big Comic Spirits in 2001 to 2002. It has 19 chapters, so it's relatively short, uh, two volumes. Uh, there was an OVA made in 2012, but we're not going to talk about that. I mean, we could talk a little bit about it. I mean, neither of us have watched it, so like, we shouldn't. I will say that what I do know about the OVA is that for some reason they reversed the roles of the main character and the other main character. I'm confused because this series is two volumes. You would think that that's not too hard to fit into a movie-length situation. So a faithful adaptation shouldn't be hard to do. And yet, they switched it around. Junji Ito's stories just so far have not had a great track record of being translated for the screen. You just gotta read it, man. Be literate. Learn to read. The best way to experience <laughs> Junji Ito's work. Or watch Uzumaki when it comes out, because that shit looks promising as fuck. They're doing it in black and white. That should be cool. Yeah, it's probably the best that we can get. And did you know, before we started working on this episode, that Gyo was inspired by Steven Spielberg's Jaws? I didn't know that, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't consider it because it seems really obvious now that I do know. Like he has said that Steven Spielberg uh, master- masterfully captured the essence of fear in the form of a man-eating shark. And I thought it would be even greater to capture that fear in a man-eating shark that goes on land as well as sea. Because, I mean, if you're scared of sharks, and I knew many people who were scared of sharks, but like we don't live close to the ocean or anything. So it's like, what are you scared of? Uh, well, I mean, people are scared of, like, regular animals, like snakes, or, like, elephants. Okay, or, where like, are you going to see an elephant? Rhinos. You're not going to say, okay, you're not going to see, like, that's the thing. How can you be, like, scared of an animal that you're probably not going to come across? Would you like to I mean, enlighten people us, People are scared class? of ghosts. Yeah, I was like that when I was a kid. I was, uh, I was watching this shark movie called Deep Blue Sea when I was, like, four. And then I got scared that sharks would come out of my toilet. So then I had to like leave the lights on when I went to the washroom. <laughs> I hope you use the lights when you use the bathroom. 
Well, there was like a hallway light. I had to turn like three different lights on. Oh, <laughs> I see. Because the lights are gonna see. Yeah, at least I can see shark. it coming. If the light was, if it was darker, I guess. Then I would be like, "What is that?" All I'll say is that everybody in Jaws, everybody in Gyo saw this shark coming. But you know what? You just can't fight a shark. You can only run away. But even then, what if it's faster than you? It's probably faster than you. Certainly is bigger. There's just there's just not much you can do. But hey, if you want to give your girlfriend the world and you've been trying to do that so far, she might expect you to try. That's unrealistic. I don't like it. And that's fair. All right. So, Klaus, what is your history with Gyo? I read it, uh, I want to say like five years ago. Like at that point, I was reading all of Junji Ito's works and I just came across it and I read it and I liked it. It was great. Great story. Mm-hmm. I probably read it about five years ago as well. And I was also combing through his body of work because, I mean, it's kind of flawless. I haven't come across any problems with any of his stuff that I've ever read. Mm-hmm. He's just a master at his craft. A true master. Um, have your feelings changed since the first time that you read it? I still think it holds up. I read it again this time and like, I noticed like more problems with it, but I still enjoyed it the same way. More problems? Yeah, like some of the characters. Gotcha. Nothing to do with the story or yeah, like the presentation strong... or anything. Gotcha. Yeah, you have a strong vendetta against one of the characters. I don't have a vendetta. It's fair, yes. And I think part of your problem with a certain character is that it's not that the depiction in itself is sexist, but that it kind of plays into stereotypes that are like flat and boring i mean that's what a stereotype is also i just realized that you're drinking bubble tea while we're recording so you keep pausing to chew on the tapioca pearls is it noticeable can you hear it no no i don't think you can hear it and if if you can you can cut it out it's just like i'll be like waiting for you to respond i'm done just i always finish what i'm saying and then i i pause yes but and I mean, I do talk a lot, so you have lots of room to chew. You're good. Keep like keep enjoying your snack. I just didn't notice until now. Um, but as for myself, rewatch or sorry, not rewatching because I will never watch that OVA. Junji Ito's work deserves better. Um, I found that the manga was better this time because I've managed my expectations of Junji Ito's work so that the ending hit a little more and the atmosphere that it was going for i i understood it more my brain was underdeveloped when i read it for the first time is what i'm saying and i will also add that i laughed a lot more when reading it this time around and i also got grossed out a lot more like i think when i was reading it at first i approached horror from this sense of like oh i'm like unshakable unflappable Nothing can disturb me. But now, like, every time I'd turn the page, I'd be like, ugh, it's gross. It's more visceral this time around. Yes. And, like, I'm letting myself be grossed out by it because I personally don't... Maybe this is a hot take, but I don't particularly enjoy when fans of horror walk into stuff and they are, like, trying to get like absolutely as scared as possible but in a way where they're like blocking themselves from just enjoying the experience or just enjoying the story like if you walk out of a movie and you're like i didn't shit my pants like and that makes it not a good horror movie then like 
I don't think that you're, I, I just don't like that method of consuming works of art because they are works of art. And even though horror is supposed to scare you, there's different types of fear than just like, oh, I'm literally jumping out of my seat and pissing myself. So you're saying Gyo is not like jump scare, scary. It's more like disturbing, gross, kind of scary. Yes. And I feel like the OVA, and again, totally talking out of my ass because I haven't seen it, but I feel like the OVA may have gone for like a jump scary route. But Junji Ito's stuff, like it is suspenseful, but the reveals are not like, you know, like shrieking violins. It's more just like, what the fuck is that? And how are we supposed to deal with it? You know, it's quiet. His work is very quiet. Do you have any other recommendations for people who like you? Any Junji Ito, get onto it right now. If, honestly, you will like Yo if you're a fan of horror and you don't mind it being a little silly at times. And also if you can withstand a pretty significant amount of body horror. Yeah, I think that's one of the key things of his work, where he like distorts the human form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my opinion... I think if you like Yo, you probably also like memeing on uh, Aquaman. These are his friends after all that the story is about. <laughs> Aquaman's going to be so lonely after this. Yeah, he's going to be wondering where all of his fish friends went and they're having a good time on land without him. Are they having a good time? Any suffering land people that the above water <laughs> people go through is like a win for the sea. Is that how it works? I think so. They just look at, uh, like, starvation, and they go, ha-ha, fuck you guys. Yeah. Or, like, pollution. Mm-hmm. But we fucking pollute the waters. That's the thing. So when they see, like, bad shit happening to the surface world. Yeah, it's true. Honestly, one way to look at this story is that it's about retribution. Like, nature's revenge. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. And another, uh, like, theme or another constant in Jinji Ito's works in my opinion is like cosmic horror so if you're into like Cthulhu or like HP Lovecraft's stuff I feel like you'd like Gyo as well I agree with that and you know what I haven't even read a single thing by Mr. HP Lovecraft I've just he's just so like in the cultural awareness I guess yeah same I've never read any of his stuff I just know that he's that his books can get a little wild. Yeah, that he's into that sort of, like you said, cosmic horror. A horror that you can't really fight, that you can't defend yourself against. You're just like, how do I say this? Like, my understanding is that he describes the horror that people experience when they look at things as opposed to, like, the horror of how something looks in itself. Like, it's about the experience of something. And the experience of terror that leaves you helpless. Yeah. It's like a hopelessness, helpless kind of horror, which is really effective. It can is. can be effective. Like it is in Gil. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that theme a little bit later on. Now, for somebody who has never read Gyo and maybe never read Junji Ito, Klaus, why should they? Because it's Spooktober, baby. Read some Spooktober! horror. Spooktober! It's the per- and you know what? Even if you're not listening to this during Spooktober, a little bit of horror is always a lot of fun. 
It's always Booktober, if you believe it is, in your heart. I also really had to work hard to emphasize, emphasize, to emphasize horror, like the two syllables of it, so that I'm not just saying, like, it's always a good time for horror. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't see a difference. Klaus looks upset with me. I mean, it's, I'm a linguist, so I would know that they're the same thing. You don't need to emphasize anything. Wow. Because you know the intent of my words. Yeah. Got you. All right. So usually in the spoiler-free section, we would go off and talk about the music, but there is no music because it is a manga. It is literary pages. But I got to say, I really want to hear what the Citrus Circus sounds like. Oh, yeah. That that part of the story. You can just envision it. Mm-hmm. in your head even while you're reading it that it would pop off mm-hmm. and you know what i want the guy who is doing the music for uzumaki who also did the music for the movie hereditary directed by ari aster i want him to produce the music of the citrus circus mm-hmm. just like keep him on for all of junji ito's ad- adaptations honest that kind of quiet horror really is what i'm looking for and like Hereditary, to do a little sidetrack, wasn't like a loud horror movie. It was very quiet and it wasn't trying to like spook you out of your seat. It was just trying to unsettle you. I describe it as a family drama, not even as a traditional horror. Yes. I forget if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think that a lot of horror movies are just genre plus spooky. You know, like, because a family drama can be just a family drama, but you can also make it into a horror. You just, like, tack it on to a story. So, like, if you're trying to write a horror thing just to be horror, you can only get so far. Because I think that horror requires, like, just an understanding that you are also telling a story. That story just happens to be scary. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think a good story underlies a good horror absolutely and like i'm sure there's merit to the really simple streamlined type movies or horror stories where it's just like you know scares and gore like that is fun for a lot of people too personally i'm more into the psychological cosmic horror side of things so there's many sides to um to what horror can do but yeah i think we've made it so we are at the spoiler point of no return so if we've convinced you to read Gyo, honestly, it'll take you like two hours. Just go do it and come back. And we're going to jump right into the search results corner. This is the corner where we just read off what people are Google searching when it comes to Gyo. First, is Gyo scary? I would say it's like more disturbing, more suspenseful. Definitely like, oh, do I want to turn the page? I kind of don't want to turn the page, but I also kind of want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. Kind of story. Absolutely. It is scary, but it's also a lot of other things. It's unnerving. And it's also funny sometimes. Like, I found myself laughing a lot during the first uh, the first act of the story. Because, I mean, getting... Uh, now we're really getting into the spoilers. Um, getting chased around your house by first a fish on legs, and then a shark on legs. It's entertaining. But do you think it's funny? Think about the plight of these people. If you were in their shoes, 
would you appreciate other people laughing at you? Okay. <laughs> I mean, the shot of Tadashi flying through the door because the shark just like busted behind him. He like yeah, that, that was funny. That, that shark was his chiropractor. Yeah, like his he back got straightened. His back, yeah. yeah. You that's know a free, it cracked. That's a free session. Yep. Yeah. And like Tadashi saying to Kaori, like looking her in the eye and being like, I can't fight a shark because she's like demanding that he, she that he saves her from the shark. Like it's that's just fun. I would it laugh at these people. I would laugh at other people in the situation. Other people. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's funny in the sense of like you're watching two people just like having something impossible happen to them. And they're just regular people, so they have no idea what to do. And it's so bizarre that you're just kind of, I don't know, I just chuckled a little bit, even though they're in mortal danger, mortal peril. I did a little chuckle or two, I won't lie. Yeah, their dynamic is really entertaining. It is. It is. Maybe a little stereotypical in some ways, but like, I like they felt like real people to me. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Not good people necessarily but are real people good not necessarily not necessarily and you know what we'll save more of the character talk for later what happens to kaori in gil kaori is our second lead character our female lead character karma baby she gets what she deserves i don't think anybody deserves what happens to her i agree but also like you didn't help yourself you could have done better things and you chose not to. She, you know, like many Junji Ito protagonists, she just kind of not even like walked into her fate. Like she basically stood in place and let her fate overtake her. Yes. She did nothing, but also she did all the wrong things. If that makes sense. That does make sense. I agree with that. Okay. <laughs> this question makes me laugh a little. Is Junji Ito a manga? <laughs> I mean, he's a person. Is he a manga? His name is in some of the, his manga titles, but the man himself is not a manga. He is not a manga. He has not become what he creates. But that would be a story that I feel like he would write. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, like I have right in front of me the Junji Ito story collection. So it is titled the Junji Ito story collection, but it has a much bigger, more prominent title. And it's smashed. Yeah, it's like a subtitle. Yeah, it's big letters, smash, very small letters, Junji Ito story collection. That's, Junji Ito is not a manga. He's Next a question. mangaka. Mangaka. Manga. Oh, look at us. Creator. Cultured. Cultured. I still feel weird saying the word mangaka, though. Or mangaka. Because I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Would you just say, like, manga artist? Manga creator? Yeah. Manga writer? Yeah. Oh, manga creator. He's an author. Yeah. He's an author. He's a literary hero. That's He's an what he artiste. is. Artiste. All right. What happens at the end of Gyo? The only thing that can happen at the end of Gyo. I don't even want to elaborate on that. That's perfect. How good is Gyo? Pretty good. Yeah, Read pretty it. good. Is it his best? That's another question. But it is pretty good. It's worth it. There you go. There you go. It's worth the read. Absolutely worth the read. 
And then a question that I was very happy to see in the search results. What book is Amigara Fault in? It's in Gyo, part of the Gyo collection or part of the Gyo volume. Yeah, so I own the hardcover Gyo volume. And at the back, there are two of his short stories. One is the, the sad tale of the principal post. That one's just like four pages or whatever. And then there is what is arguably Junji Ito's most famous short story, which is The Enigma of Amigara Fault. And that one, oh, speaking of body horror, woo. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was the one that got me into uh, his work. I think I read that first and then I just went down like a rabbit hole. A lot of people probably got into his work that way. And it's a good introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to do a filler episode one day going over a bunch of his short stories because I really want to talk about how perfectly executed that story is and how perfectly encapsulates this sense of inescapable cosmic horror that you just can't run away from. Yeah, and Junji Ito is very unique in the, in a way that his short stories are like they're on par with his long stories, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And like his long stories aren't even like long 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 in the way that, you know, One Piece is long, Dragon Ball is long. His longest stories are still just like three volumes, I think. The big ones being Tomie and Uzumaki. Yeah, and like the fault or Amigara fault is like the perfect length for that kind of story, in my opinion. It doesn't need to be shorter. It doesn't need to be two volumes. It has like a vision and it set out to do its thing. Absolutely. It's more powerful when it gives you the punch just one time. Yeah. And I will say it is quite a punch. Like when you figure out where it's going, you're like, oh no. Yeah, it's a great story. Amazing. Yeah, it really is. All right, so let's walk through the first chapter of Gyo, just to set the scene for those of you who either haven't read it or need a refresher. So we have Tadashi, your average boy. You have to, uh, we have Kaori, your average girl, who is a little bit of a bitch in my favorite way. They are on a little couple's getaway at Tadashi's uncle's uh, like seaside cabin or oceanside cabin in Okinawa. And they are fighting. They are not having a good time. They haven't even gotten to the real, like, problem that they're going to face. And they're still, like, just fighting. This girl is like, I'm not feeling well. This guy is like, hello, I almost died while scuba diving. And you're just telling me that my stomach hurts. And now we have to go away back into the cabin so you can take a billion showers and you're the one who wanted to come out to the ocean for a vacation and now you're saying that you hate the smell of the water you hate the smell of the sea there's a reason for it she has a very sensitive nose and the fish are on their way to land they're not as deep as they should be um but eventually kaori is freaked out enough by the smell that while she's taking a shower she realizes that there is a fish in the shower and that bitch has legs there's a fish with like metal legs in their home she i think faints immediately <laughs> and then tadashi has to kill it and once he kills it after a whole series of events 
Uh, he wants to keep it to report it as a new species. Like, he's more fascinated than anything. And Kaori is like, you are such a dick. Get that out of my face. I can smell it even when it's outside. Take it away. And eventually it just flies away back into the ocean. And that's basically how it starts. Oh, and also, she it, he tries to get a kiss from her. And she's like, no, you stink. Can you please go brush your teeth? And even when he's like, I just fucking brushed my teeth. She's like, well, can you go brush him again? I don't think you did. So what is your first impression of the story of the couple? <laughs> our main characters, our scenario. Uh, why is Cody still alive? Why is she here? What is the purpose of her character? Other than to endear us for Tadashi and his plight. That's a fair point. Tadashi isn't the best boyfriend either. They're like, they both contribute to the problems of their relationship, I would say. It's like 80-20. I... If Tadashi broke up with Kaori, it would be good for both of them. It would be. And I think as we go through the story, like, I genuinely believe that they care about each other. It just, you know, just because you really care about somebody in a relationship doesn't mean that the love that you have is healthy or good for one another. But I mean, saving the character stuff for later... Just the story concept. Fishes, fish, <laughs> fishes on legs. Thoughts? Terrifying. Go back to the sea. It's true. If the fish ever decided to rise up on us, we would be fucked. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Everybody start praying to Poseidon again. Mm -hmm. Fuck Aquaman. <laughs> I volunteer if it's Jason Momoa. Nobody could have redeemed the Aquaman character better than Jason Momoa. Even though, I mean, let me not speak on that because I haven't seen any of the... Oh god, is it Justice League that he's a part of? It was, like, not bad. It was, I feel like a lot of people blew it out of proportion. It's not great, okay? I'm not saying it was fantastic. But it wasn't as bad as people said it was, in my opinion. I cannot comment. I will not. I'm so good at sticking my nose and having opinions on things. <laughs> I really shouldn't. But I will leave this one and will simply say Jason Momoa is a good looking Aquaman. I agree. Um, what I also want to touch on with like just the opening to this story is that for a long time, like the entire first act, this story is really contained. Like, I mean, this one little cabin in Okinawa with this one fish skittering around on legs, and then later on a shark. Like, it's... We don't know yet what the scale of all of this is going to be, because we just see these two people dealing with, like, the very minute beginnings of it. And I think that's a really cool way to go about it, because once you start to see how many fish are coming out of the ocean, and how much terror just one caused you're like oh things are not great yeah like a whole horror movie could just be them at the cabin and with them at the shark but junji ito takes it a couple of levels further as the story progresses and you're like okay that was small time that was fish bait compared to what the rest of the story is mm -hmm. yeah it was a small fry versus large fry okay so let's get into our main character corner all right so our main character is tadashi and i'm calling him a main character and not the protagonist very purposefully because i don't think that junji ito stories have protagonists because protagonists by definition and i'm an english major so i know some sort of things about things 
protagonists move the plot forward. Junji Ito's main characters are just there to witness what is happening around them and observe. And anything that they try to do to actually to improve things or help people or help themselves ultimately ends up being futile. What happens to them is not really governed by their actions at any point. They're all just victims. Of Kaori? Of Junji Ito. All of his characters are his victims. You're right. <laughs> and I knew that's what you meant. I was just giving you an opportunity to dunk on Kaori. And you didn't even take the bait. No. No, I didn't. Because you know what? I have more ammo later. I will dunk on her as the episode goes by. You don't need to prompt me to dunk on her. You're right. I'm never giving you a chance again because I know that you have a lot to say about her and I have a lot to say about what you have to say about her. So with Tadashi, let's get into what we like about him. Even though I just said that Junji, char Junji Ito's characters don't move the plot forward and they can't really do anything, Tadashi is a boy who tries, okay? He tries to look after Kaori because he cares about her. He tries to fight the shark for her, even though it just ends up falling out of a window and getting impaled. And he tries to help people even when the world is going to shit. And I think that makes him a pretty good boy. Yeah. He's like, all right. In like, in the grand scale of like all characters. But in the story specifically, he like stands out as like a morally good person. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are times when, okay, getting into the dislikes, he's like not... I don't think he's the most considerate boyfriend at all times. He also has a girlfriend who, like, he definitely shouldn't be with. And he's very tired of her, and you can tell. But they, they, I mean, they both have this problem. They don't care about each other's feelings. They spend the plot trying to get their feelings acknowledged by the other person. Or, like, trying to do, trying to be recognized. That are, actually, no, <laughs> that doesn't even work. Okay, Tadashi wants to be recognized for the things that he tries to do for Kaori. Like, he wants to be appreciated as a boyfriend. But she doesn't appreciate him because she always wants more from him. And so when he is not being, like, acknowledged for the hard work that he does, he gets, like, frustrated and stops listening to her, basically. Which, I mean, I get it. At what point does he do that? Like, does he not, not listen to her? Yeah. When she has like a stomach ache and she's like not feeling well and she has a whole fever and then um, and then he like takes her out to like try to prove to some like scientist person that the fish on legs was actually real and she doesn't say anything because she's upset because she's sick and he like dragged her out to like try to like get to the bottom of this and he's like uh hello why didn't you back me up there? And her direct words were like, you dare drag me out under the sun? And of course he was frustrated with that because he was like, this is actually important. But also like she wasn't feeling well. Okay, so you're saying the multiple times that he saved her life, he's being inconsiderate. Of and in this moment not. of safety, in this moment of safety where they're not fighting for their lives and she has a fever, I guess, or a stomach ache, I guess, she's so unwell that she has a fever, but she is so well that she can yell at her boyfriend. That she can walk around and complain. Yeah, but she, the, she like He's faints. He's being inconsiderate. She yells at him and then immediately faints because she's like, that took too much. 
look at what you do to me. But like, unfortunately, that is very much her motif. She's just like, look at how little you do for me. Even though he, you're right. He does do a lot. He tries to save her. I genuinely believe that he loves her and cares about her a lot. And you know what? I'll say it. She doesn't deserve his love. But no, she doesn't. The weight of their relationship. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's also not great. I agree with that. This is just like a bad situation for both of them. It is. He's literally like doing the most and he's not getting appreciated. And it's just like at some point that's on you, bro. Yes. He should have left her like before all of this. Like they, it shouldn't have got their relationship shouldn't have gotten to this point. <laughs> yes, because while I think that the way that they are as people, Tadashi would have been a better boyfriend to another woman. Kaori would have been, oops, Kaori would have been just as bad of a girlfriend to anybody. Yes, but I mean, when she starts feeling sick and like smelling the fish everywhere because they're literally rising from the ocean. He gets so tired of her that he's like, no, you don't smell it because I don't smell it. So you can't be smelling it. But she was fucking right the whole time. He gaslighted her into being like, no, you don't smell that. Hello? Do you have her nose? No, you don't. Does that matter? I don't think that shit matters, man. Your life is on the line and you're going to complain about the smell? I think, well, before they know their life is on the line, you know, for the longest time. They don't realize how much of a threat to the whole world that this is going to be. She's just like, this fish stinks. Though, honestly, it's kind of amazing how little she actually cares about the fact that a biological impossibility is happening right before her eyes. Exactly. She's just like, get rid of it, bro. And he's like, okay, I did. And then she's like, okay, now leave because you stink. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, she is. Okay, should we get to, to talking about uh to talking about our girl Cowdy? All right. Sure. What do we what do we like about her? Oh, you're not gonna say anything. <laughs> I didn't okay. write any of this down. Let me okay, let me tell you what I like about Cowdy, okay? She is honest. She is straightforward. When he asks, Are you okay? she will say no if she's not okay. She's not going to sit there and sulk and be like, I am fine. Which many characters like her have done. I'm sure of it. But she would also not tell you when she's happy. She would. She's the type of character that would be like, it could be better. Things mm-hmm. could always be better. Yeah. She's not only glass half empty. She's like, why didn't you get me a nicer glass? Why is this glass f- filled with water? I wanted something more luxurious. Why is this water tepid? Why is I it wanted tepid? ice water. Ice cold. But you know what? She is a dramatic hoe, but I find her very entertaining in the story. And like, honestly, I find her to be sympathetic, specifically because we are given a hint as to why she is the way that she is, which is like needy. And we're told that she has no contact with her parents and they weren't good parents. And now even though she's pretty young, she doesn't have anybody supporting her in her life. And to that, she is the one that supports her. And he says at one point, you know, like I thought that I could take care of her, but you can't be everything to a person, even if they're the person that you care most about in the world. Because what happens is that, he is now her boyfriend parent god so 
no matter what. He's never going to be able to appease her because when you let somebody be the force in your life that makes you or breaks you, you know, the person who is supposed to provide all of your happiness in one human being, then every single time that you're dissatisfied with something, it doesn't come from you. It comes from them. It must be their fault because they didn't take care of you properly. And I don't care if I'm looking into this too much. Like, that is what I got from her character. And that is why she is the way that she is. Whiny, needy, never satisfied, not appreciative. Basically, our girl needs to go to therapy. Yeah, once you understand her behavior, you're like, okay, so this is the way she is. But that doesn't mean I need to like her. That doesn't mean I like her at all. I still hate her. I still hate this character. You're right. All right. Are you going to dunk on her now? Why don't you like her? I think you said it all. She's needy. She's selfish. Typically overly jealous. Wants to go on a seaside vacation, but hates the smell of the sea. She can't take care of herself. She always wants to be saved. You said it all. You're right. <laughs> I did See, I peppered in the reasons to dislike her because I know that I can't just talk about the things that I find enjoyable because you will roast me for them. And you will be right because who she is and why she's enjoyable as a character is also tied into why she's not a good person. Yeah. Like in, in the story, like, okay, yeah, she fits this uh, archetype and like her purpose is like fulfilled in the story. I can see that. I just don't like the character. Yeah, fair. <laughs> okay. Here's a question that I don't think is going to have a satisfying answer. What could she do differently to make you like her? Not be in the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's about what I expected. <laughs> and I feel like that would be good for her too, if she wasn't where she was at this moment. Yeah. It would have been nice if she was like, if she spent this whole time in a therapist office. Yeah, maybe... like she could have avoided her fate Yeah, if she wasn't in this situation. Yeah. And I mean... Like, most of the people on Earth get a bad fate in this story. But, I mean, hers was particularly cruel. Because, um, as we... Should we should we get into this here? Like, kind of what happens to Kaori? I think we can get into it later. Okay, okay. All I will say at this point is that everybody goes through a lot of shit. She is self-aware of what she goes through. For a lot longer than everybody else. I think I liked her character because of that. That she had to like witness it. She was conscious. What? Because she deserved it? I'm not saying she deserved it. But you know. Look at what you did. Look at what you. Look at where you are. There are dots that connect. Perhaps. I'm trying to think. Is there any like religious. Uh, like side story situation. In this book. Where like you have characters who are like. These are the end times. We're being punished by God. There's, I don't think there's any of that. I don't think so. This one leans more into sciency, sciency justification. For That's true. That's true. We do know exactly why all of it started, but we'll get into that. Let's get into our side character corner right now. Klaus, what character did you choose to talk about? The shark, the walking, running, big jawed shark. I just, there are only two side characters, basically, in this story. 
And I specifically chose the less significant one so that you could choose the more significant one. And you chose the shark. Yeah, the more significant one. I did what you asked. Oh my gosh. Okay. What do you like about the shark? The shark is a badass. It can swim really fast, has powerful jaws, top predator in the ocean, and then upon death, it activates its latent nen and gains the ability to be a menace on land. Little hunter hunter deep cut. By gaining robotic legs. <sighs> Very durable. Incredibly important for the plot and for developing other characters. It really is the main antagonist of the first act. What do you dislike about the shark? Falls out the window. R.I.P. What? <laughs> Are you saying that it didn't get a righteous death? Yeah, it should have been the main protagonist. Who fell out the window? No, that the shark. The shark should have been the main protagonist of the story. Oh, <laughs> I see. I mean, that shark really does leave a lasting impact. Like, man, the scene where the shark goes up on land, like, and they're all like, there's all these people in the ocean. They're just chilling. And somebody's like, holy shit, there's a shark really close to the shore. Everybody get out of the water. Everybody gets out of the water and they're like, phew. And if this was Jaws, that would be the end. But it is not. That shark fucking beaches itself and keeps walking. Keeps and then running. He runs. And I think it is implied that he like slays everybody at the beach before he makes it to the cabin. Literally out for blood. And he got it. He got it. All right. So for my side character corner, I decided to talk about Miss Yoshiyama. She's the assistant to Dr. Koyanagi, who is the character I thought you were going to talk about because he's very important to the plot. Dr. Koyanagi's father is the person who set all of these events into motion because he was a scientist during World War II. He created a, like, basically... A machine that was just these legs that was supposed to get attached to animals and it would release gas using the animals as fuel and it would like poison their enemies with a disease that was what his father did and they never actually made it to the war because everything sunk to the bottom of the sea and that is how the fish started uh started transforming the, the fish went under forced evolution under the sea and now Dr. Koyanagi is like, huh, so I guess that story that my dad told me wasn't all just crazy horse shit. He, like, really did that. And now it is really fucking up the world. Fascinating. And Miss Yoshiyama is his assistant. What I like about her is that she is smart and she is kind. Alright? She, she can be both, you know? The doctor is smart but not kind. And I would say that Tadashi is kind but not smart. He's not not smart, but Miss Yoshiyama, she can do both. All right. Oh, <laughs> Kaori is neither smart or kind. That's for you. You're welcome. So, so Miss Yoshiyama is smart because she is able to help the doctor with all of his crazy science shit. And she's kind because when the doctor uses Kaori for an experiment, she, even though she like helps him with it, she ends up breaking down and telling Tadashi about it because she doesn't want to lie to him. I think that makes her a pretty good person. But what sucks is that she uses her smarts for evil because this doctor is like not evil, but he's one of those characters who whose ambitions 
are his downfall you know like it's science it's the career before everything before caring about humans before love you know all of that stuff it's science without the ethics yes that kind of character which i think is like a stereotype in itself very victor frankenstein one could say and then i also don't like the implication that she has feelings for the doctor that he will like never return because he is that character who only cares about science and like has no room in his life for love but she like stands by his side no matter what anyway and then she gets yeeted into the sky because i don't like the way she goes she has a sad bad end and she could have been in the story for longer she would have been cool to have in the story for longer but i think that's uh, again a very junji ito thing like she has all this potential as a character as somebody who can help tadashi like just deal with shit as the world is going to shit but she but you know she gets taken away unfairly because everything that happens to these people is unfair i agree she's the best human side character in the story and i wish i saw more of her but it's also very junji ito to have a character like this uh and in a way that you don't want yeah it's unsatisfying She's literally in the middle of something. She's booked and busy. And then, oh, I mean, now do we get into it? <laughs> it's unsatisfying, but I also understand it. I accept yes. it. Yes. I, strangely, I was using unsatisfying in a good way. Like, unsatisfying is kind of par for the course for Junji Ito, where I'm just like, like, you're not out here actually rooting for any of the characters to succeed. You're just kind of, it's- You just want them to survive. Not necessarily, like, beat the threat, I guess. Yeah. And when they don't survive, you just kind of watch it like a car wreck. Like, you can't turn away from it. You're, But there's not really any emotional attachment. You're just like, oh, that sucks. That was bleak. And then you keep going. And then you keep going. All right. We've made it to our oh shit corner. This is where we talk about the moment when we were reading the story that made us say, oh shit. Mine is when we first saw that fucking fish scuttling around through their house. Because it's basically like a giant insect that is also a rotting fish, which is the worst thing that I can imagine to have just like in your home. And it really sets up the story well. So that is my oh shit. Yeah, it's like, how do you deal with this situation? I've never seen anything like it. It's so unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And that's where the horror comes from. Absolutely. You're like, I don't even know how I would... Like, I, I'm not even able to process what is happening. So how can I focus on what to do about it? Exactly. The unknown. The unknown. All right. What is your oh shit? Uh, seeing how Tadashi didn't break up with Kaori on the boat. I would have <laughs> left her at sea. <laughs> what did she do to you? She was out here on my vacation with me on vacation that she didn't even want to go to. I'm just scuba diving out here. I almost got killed by something in the water. And she's like, can we go now? Yeah, it's true. He straight up like, I almost died. And she's like, my stomach hurts. I don't feel well. Like, wow. She's literally that person who you can't complain to her because she will always say something worse that's going on with her. Oh, I don't like that. She'd be like, oh, I almost died. And then she'd be like, why don't you care about me? Yeah. Yeah, basically. She'd be like, why are you talking about you when we can be talking about my problems? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
like she can't she can't let the focus be on anybody else except for yeah. her yeah nobody has worse problems than Kaori. that is how she how she sees the world tadashi would be like i almost died for the fifth time today and then Kaori would be like but i broke a nail yeah it's uh you know what i just realized that it's kind of poetic justice in a way that she gets her mouth plugged that's what i'm saying like obviously nobody deserves her fate but also like you kind of deserve it there's something there's something very poignant about what happens to her i would say yeah i agree Mm -hmm. all right now it's time for the oh ship corner and I don't know. I'm contemplating whether or not I want to make a ship joke because we're talking about like boats and fish and choo-choo. That's a train. Wait, no, that's a boat. No, the the phrase literally is a choo-choo train. <laughs> uh, wait, no, it's like, it's like choo-choo. There you go. That's a, that's a boat. Thank you. Thank you for allowing my boat. <laughs> right. So this is the O ship corner. I say the ships that exist in the story there aren't many in this one and klaus chooses to either allow or rebuke it all right the first ship fish and the land allow why do you allow it because they were thriving aquaman's friends were thriving on the land okay just doing their thing you know but and they people died. happen to be people happen to be like okay this is a problem meanwhile the fish were just like we're having a field day out here the fish literally started rotting off of the legs and created a whole new problem. How could they be thriving when they're rotting? I mean, it's not their fault. It isn't be. their fault. But, you know, aren't, aren't the fish victims as well? Yeah, I mean, better on land than in the sea, right? For them to be rotting on the land. But they wouldn't have rotted in the sea because... You can still rot in the sea if you're dead. But they wouldn't have... Uh... I guess they would have been been dying anyway. They would have been dying. At least they're not polluting the ocean. Okay, think about the ocean. It's true. The ocean is actually going to thrive because of what happened. There you go. You're right. Good fertilizer. Right. The fish and the land and the ocean. We'll ship them all together. They're fixing. Wow. The fish? Oh my gosh. You know what's happening here? This is a ship where... So, okay, it's a love triangle between fish, land an ocean right fish sacrifices itself so that the land and the ocean can be together in harmony exactly restarting the ecosystem yeah you know what allow i'm allowing it (laughs) this isn't a corner that i'm supposed to be allowing but listen we were very there are very few couples in this all right so i had to throw in a few that i don't necessarily agree with such as war and bad ideas from mad scientists allow or rebuke i will allow it simply for the fact that it makes for good stories you're right it makes for good origin stories of our story here it does. of where our legs come from it does though honestly let's ship war with nobody except for the past Did that make even sense? then even then that's like a eh, that could have been avoided it's true and you know what people romanticize the hell out of that shit so that's not or at least they used to you know we had some you know war poets coming along and then you know videos and people saw the battlefields and they were like oh this is not like uh like this is not valor and patriotism or whatever this is just fucking brutal 
War is not good. And you can quote me on that. But, you know, also, I will say, the mad scientist, you know, Koyanagi's dad, he just needed to make some money. You know, the real problem is the people who fund the wars. Oh, let's go there. Not really. That's a whole. <laughs> who profit off of war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should not be allowed to profit off of war. You should not be allowed to profit from human suffering. <laughs> Let's dig ourselves out of this corner of sadness. All speaking right. of speaking of human suffering, Cowdy and the fish. Do we ship Cowdy and the fish? I don't. Why not? Because if I were in her shoes, I'd be like, sorry, I'm not into that. Leave me alone, fish. I mean, yeah. It definitely wasn't consensual. It would like that fish gets put inside a bag by Tadashi. And then it keeps like floating into the air because the legs make the bodies release gas from their mouth and their anus. And the bag just like floats in the air. And for some reason that's not really made clear, it keeps following Kaori. Like it follows her all the way from Okinawa to Tokyo. How did it do that? The power of love. But I'm not into it. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a not this a good is, love story. This is one fish that I would keep in the ocean. Exactly one fish stays in the ocean. But what if that fish just like really wanted to be eaten by her? But it's already rotten. By the time it like gets released from the bag, it's all bones. Yeah, it's true. But that's the thing. It was trying to be eaten while it was still fresh, you know? That's but why it was, it was rotten. so determined. It was always rotting. As Cowdy's sensitive nose yes. would say. She knew. She clocked it. And like her and a and a rotting fish like no a fresh fish maybe we'll consider it a rotting fish no no um we're still in the o ship corner let's talk about dr koyanagi and miss yoshiyama so their relationship is that basically that like it's implied that she like cares about him maybe loves him and arguably he also cared very much about her allow or rebuke I will, hmm, I'm gonna rebuke it, actually. Yeah. She deserves someone who loves her back. Yes. Uh, and here's the thing. I, okay, the way that I read the story, I think that in a way he does love her because I, okay, I'm just gonna get into how Dr. Koyanagi and Miss Yoshiyama pass away, okay? So, he is basically inspired by the work of the machines, which are, like, really sophisticated, but really simple. And he basically recreates them, but, like, makes them better. And he makes one that he puts himself on, and it, like, traps him in the legs, and there's also room underneath for another person to be trapped underneath. And he catches Miss Yoshiyama in that while she's still alive. And then it also flies. So they like fly away together and then we never know what the fuck happens to her. And I think that arguably that meant that he cares for her because he planned his death and her death so that they would die together. So it's a fucked up love because he didn't want to love her or marry her or like any sort of like there was no romance to it but we know that the one major improvement of his machine versus the 
other machines that are coming from the ocean is that he still retained a certain degree of self-awareness. So he chose to swoop her up with him. And I think that in the context of the story, and just like, you know, the way that story and writing works, we're meant to assume this is like a grand gesture of love, which is like, it feels gross coming out of my mouth, but like, that's what I thought that it was. I disagree. I don't think he loved her. I thought he thought of her as like an assistant kind of person. He never expressed any kind of uh, concern for her. Or even like, when she told Tadashi, he was never like, oh my gosh, you betrayed me, how could you? He was just like, oh shit, my secret's out. Oh well, gonna keep going. Here's my new machine. Oh, it takes in another person. Hmm, who should I put in here? Oh, probably my assistant, who also helped me build this thing. Right. And I see where you're coming from as well, because his machine can literally fly. So it needs like more fuel. It needs more gas to work. So I can see your take that it's also just like out of necessity that he grabbed somebody else and out of convenience that he grabbed her. Yeah, I think she liked him, but not the other way around. But even then, her love uh, reached like a limit because he still, she still told Tadashi about all the stuff he was doing. She still felt bad. That's fair. I allow your rebuke. That's not how this corner works, but okay. Listen, this is my corner. I get to do whatever I want. All right, let's go. Our last ship, our main ship, Tadashi and Kaori. Rebuke. Moving on. They're okay. Let me just say our one next thing. Next corner. Let is me. Let me. Let me. Corner. They're not a romantic couple, but there are unexpectedly tender moments between them. That's all I'll say. They work for the story. The yes. story would not be the same, would not be as entertaining if they were not together. Yes, they are entertaining and tender. Like, you know, he cares about her and she goes through a lot of shit and he has to watch her go through a lot of shit. Is that tender? That's not tender. It is because he's still like, he's still so attached to her, even when she's like fucked up by this disease. It's not tender if it's not two-sided. I don't think that has to be the case. I mean, a one-sided love is always going to be futile, right? And futility is one of the themes of Junji Ito's work. So in a way, it really works with with the horror, you know? Yeah. It works conceptually, but I still don't like it. That's fair. So, okay, maybe we'll talk about that first, because like, we've talked about it already. Futility, helplessness, and cosmic horror in Junji Ito's work. That is... The th- oh yeah, we're in the themes corner now. That is a reoccurring theme in all of his work. And in this case, it's helplessness in the face of nature's rebellion against the planet. There's there's nothing that he, you can do. And Tadashi tries to do things and to help people. You know, he spends some time smashing rocks into the like jaws of the machines so that people can't get trapped in them. But they're endless. And then we learn that they're also replicating. So there's nothing that he can do on his own. But, you know, he... He tries. He tries. And then that kind of leads into another theme that I wanted to talk about, which is the sins of war. Because, as I talked about, these 
metal legs originate from a war device that um that koyanagi's father made oh i also don't know if i mentioned this but koyanagi is also also tadashi's uncle so tadashi is also like you know tangentially blood related to all this shit that's happening and at first we just think okay this is like a sci-fi story because these are old machines and they clung onto the fish and now the fish are on the land but we learn that these machines are actually like they've become organic species they are like self-replicating in the ocean they have the drive that all living things do which is to replicate itself they replicate themselves and oh man it all it all fucking happened because we tried making a devastating machine for war and i think the the theme this one specifically is very interesting to talk about because just conceptually humans like make things with a purpose and then down the line that purpose and that thing gets or evolves into something that's out of our control and we're just like oh fuck what did we do well we can't do anything about it now we just gotta brush it to the side or we gotta not acknowledge our hand in making this terrible thing that affects us now Mm -hmm. is that what thomas jefferson meant when he said every action has an equal opposite reaction was that thomas jefferson i think so that's what hamilton told me that's Isaac Newton, bro. That's like Wait. That's oh, a he fucking was quoting Newton. That's oh science. God. I'm trash for Hamilton. Ah. Not me thinking it was Thomas Jefferson. You just quoted science. That's the basic law of science, bro. Yo, what the fuck? It's Newton's third law. There you go. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I'm never going to live this down. Oh my god. <laughs> Listen, I am not smart. A science person. Yes, thank you. You don't believe in science. Okay, yes, we, we okay. got <laughs> Listen, I got vaccinated, okay? I believe in science in the ways that matter. Okay, now, I guess the last theme that we still had to talk about is the persistence of spirit in the gas, okay? And this is what takes this story from the level of sci-fi to like cosmic horror because if you have really good eyes you can see the gas that all of these bodies are creating in the air and it's like this light blue color and it has the faces of dead people in it all the people that have died they their spirits are released from their bodies through the gas and when tadashi makes it to the citrus circus just this fucking circus tent this group of people who have made a circus act based around the gas specifically with like music and instruments that are playing music of the gas that is not like you know the musicians are not like going like do 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 with their instruments they're just breathing and it's making music and then we have like a fire breather guy who like when he breathes the fire it like illuminates all of these faces and at one point the ring ringleader ringmaster circus leader ring 
I don't know. You'll have to ask Britney Spears. She said, unlike the ringleader, I call the shots. Okay. There we go. Thank you, Brittany. So glad you're free. The ringleader says, the gas is alive and it will still be alive when all the humans and animals are gone. This blew my mind. When it was revealed that they were spirits and you could see that the gas was the spirits, this took it to a whole new level. That's when I was like, oh, this is the Junji Ito Junusikwa. This is, I just did the Salt Bay sprinkle thing because before this revelation, it's just a sci-fi horror and that's not really Junji Ito's thing. So I was like, oh, he's like taking a different direction with his stories. No, this is like with the spirits in the gas, plus the fact that these legs are like self-replicating when they shouldn't be able to. Like, that is just, like, you know, we're, we're fucked. And we're impermanent. And we fucked this world over. And now it's going to kill us. And all that's going to be left behind is the gas. It's the spirits. Mm-hmm. When you realize that the gas is not from the body, but from the spirit, from the soul, you're like, okay, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing these people can do. These machines are replicating itself themselves. There is like no hinge. There is no screws or anything. It stopped becoming man-made. And they are organic. Organic. Gluten-free. <laughs> free range. There's nothing you can do to stop them. Mm-mm. Yeah, they are free range. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and just like the fish evolve onto land because they get feet humans and along with the rest of the animals who become victims are also evolving to our next level of evolution which is purely spirit because our bodies are not surviving what happened but our spirits live on and they're still going to be you know on this planet on this earth even after everybody's dead and if the gas is around and our spirits are in the gas then the humans are still there just not in the form that we've taken up till now this is their final form the spirits (laughs) exactly that's our final evolution spirits and you know what once there's gas once we are just gas on the planet then the planet is going to do whatever the fuck it wants and we can't harm it anymore so you know what good for mother earth is that your favorite part of the story Maybe. It's my favorite theme for sure. Thank you for ushering in our favorites corner. Let's go through this. So, who is your favorite character and why? The shark. Just because you said that, I'm going to say the squid. The squid that drags Tadashi across the street for like a while. I think he drags him up a building too. It's a strong ass. Who do you think would win? The squid or the shark? Squids are fucking smart, okay? Like they are. octopus, I agree. octopi are like ridiculous. Once I saw that there were tentacles on the land, I was like, "Oh, we're not making it." This is a different kind of story. <laughs> Poor Tadashi. For oh, oh, got a new girlfriend. You've heard of my octopus teacher. Now get ready for my squid girlfriend. You've heard of Squid Game. Get ready for Squid Girl. This is all a game to the squid. 
all fucking game. What is your favorite chapter? The Citrus Circus. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Like, it goes into such fun, bizarre territory. And I really appreciated every moment of it. Yeah, the panels during that part, amazing. There was like a bunch of double page spreads. Yeah. They were just all so good. Yeah. And some double page spreads, you just look at it and you're like, okay, and you move on. But like, you really linger on Junji Ito's splash pages. And I think it's safe to say, at least for me, that the Citrus Circus doubles as my favorite setting as well. Yeah, same. Now, this is a story that basically has a wild reveal every single chapter. What was your favorite reveal? My favorite reveal. Hmm. I don't know. They all were pretty good. I would say uh, when it was revealed that the arms became organic, I mean the legs, when the legs became organic, good you were like, oh my god, choice. how did that happen? How was this happening? Yeah, that really is the moment when the story turns. Oh god, I might have to agree with you. I usually like picking something different, but man, I think I agree. Yeah. That is the best reveal. Okay, who is your favorite monster? Or Coward. what is your favorite monster? Oh my god. There is literally a giant set of walking legs that has like dozens of humans strapped onto it. And you pick Cowdy? Yeah, this was like before she turned. So this was her at the beach house. Oh my god. She Listen, she's a victim of circumstance, okay? She just needs to go to therapy. She can still be a monster. She probably would actually be very offended if anybody told her that she needs to go to therapy. So, yeah. Yeah. But her, she is never the problem. So, that's on her. Can't fix somebody who doesn't want to be fixed. All right. Now, is this your favorite Junji Ito story to wrap up our favorites corner? It is not. It is not. It's still great. It's still amazing. Read it. And now for our grievances corner. I already know what you're going to say. Just get it over with. Cowdy. <laughs> My main grievance is not a grievance that I hold anymore. Because I used to not like the ending very much. It ends on this note of just like... Just like acceptance. Right? So I want to run this by you close. So the story ends with Tadashi who seems to be immune to the disease that everybody else is succumbing to. And he comes across a group of researchers who are also immune. And they're like, hey, like, come join us. We are going to look for a cure. We're like science students or whatever. We think we can do it. So let's save humanity. And Tadashi's like, all right. And he says that he'll catch up with them because he's just found, um, or maybe been carrying around with him, Kaori's like destroyed body like her bones that have been like burnt and she's still kind of like just attached to this machine and he just sits with her and looks at the world that is like completely torn apart in the course of like two months less than two months and he just and he just sits there and that's the end and I used to find that really unsatisfying but now I think it's the right kind of unsatisfying where I think that the story in theory could have gone on 
with him joining the researchers, finding a cure and all that. But personally, and this is the question that I'm asking you, I don't think that he's going to join the researchers. What do you think? I don't think so. But I'm also not mad about that. I feel like this ended the way it needed to. Or that it should have. And that's what you said at the very start when we had our search results corner. The question was, how does it end? And you said exactly the way that it's supposed to. And what I was going to add at the time but didn't was it ends with acceptance. Yeah, I agree. I think he's like tired of fighting. And there's nothing left for him to fight anymore. Everybody that he cared about is dead. Yeah, this is the end of his story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And those researchers will probably go on and do their thing, but I really don't think that Tadashi means it when he says that he'll catch up with them. I think he's done. And I think it's a really satisfying, unsatisfying ending. And I didn't appreciate it when I first read this story. And now now I do. Anything else that you didn't like? We already talked about it. Yoshiyama gets swept away too soon. She could have been better. But again... The things, the grievances that I have or have had in the past are literally just Junji Ito's stories and his style being what they are. And I respect it. And it really, it all works. So like, you know, very, very minor grievances. All right. Let's get into our penultimate corner. But does it have S tier moments? I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some of your S tiers? Uh, when Tadashi visits Kaori's apartment and then she's like under her covers. And then it's revealed that she's infected with the gas. And you see her in her best form. When the outside reflects the inside. Oh my god. And she's literally blowing air from her mouth and her butt. And like flying around the room. Like she's like being lifted into the air by the force of her gas. Hot mess. And also when uh, the legs attach to the doctor's hand. Oh, yeah. And then he has to cut off his arm. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like a a leg with... It's just legs with an arm as its fuel. And it's just like skittering around the science building. Mm -hmm. I don't blame Kaori for fainting immediately when she saw it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. And then also at the Citrus Circus, when they were doing the big performance, and then you could see the gas in the air. Mm-hmm. it's all the faces yeah and all the fire one of the moments that i chose as an s-tier moment is the moment that tadashi first sees the gas and i mean we're looking at them side by side right now and they're different like when the gas is just in the air it's like a lot more light they look more like ghosty spirits but they when they're lit up by the fire they look like like rotting bodies like i like you know that shot from jojo's bizarre adventure with uh in phantom blood with the dude who's saying come here i'll suck you dry that guy his like face is melting off that's what it looks like it looks like their faces are melting off i can't believe i had to go all the way to that quote to figure out the words to say that but yeah, it looks a lot more like gross and vivid under under the fire, which is amazing. It shows how good Junji Ito is at art because like obviously we can't see that it's orange, but like it's it has all the violence of the fire. 
And then the other S tier moments, I've already mentioned them. The one is when Tadashi has to tell Kaori, I can't fight a shark. Iconic. And then when... <laughs> Not the way I'm about to phrase this. <laughs> when Tadashi gets his back blown out by the shark. I mean, you're not wrong. Look I'm at his back. not wrong. You're going to look at me and tell me I'm wrong? He's never felt better. Free chiropractor appointment, baby. And now we make it to our final question. But is it an S tier? Countdown? Yep. Three, two, one. No. It's not. Now what is it for real? Three, two, one. B tier. B. I was gonna say like A minus. I can put it in B B plus. We can put it in the B plus tier. We'll put it B plus. So I don't think we're trying to do minuses because the fact that we're already adding pluses is so extra. Let's do let's do B plus. I'll happily put it in B plus. Though it feels weird to put anything of Junji Ito's in B plus, honestly. It's just that, like, his other stuff is so good. And if you were to rank it, all his work, then it's necessary that some of his stuff would not be all the same. Yeah, he's competing with himself. All right, so, so there we the go. Yeah, that was our episode. Thank, Thank you, for you so listening. much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BiasPod. And remember, if you disagree with any of our hot takes, we never said we weren't biased.